You are listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church. Now, it is really, it's a blessing to be with you guys. Um, and and to, to start, uh, Patrick asked me to join in on this series, Words of Life, and so I said, Word of Life, sorry, uh, and I said I would be more than happy to do that as we are taking uh, statements from the Lord Jesus, things that he says and how they give life. And so when you do that, it's like, well, what do you, what do you pick? I don't know what to pick. And my preaching Bible, as I like to call it, is in storage. I don't know what, in what box it's in. So I'm going to be reading from the CSB this morning because this is the one that we've been like journaling in and reading as a family and memorizing. So if the translation's a little different, I know Patrick's always like, you can get a Bible in the back. So you can, but it's going to sound a little different than what I'm reading. Uh, but go ahead and grab that. Um, and you'll be able to follow along, I would guess. So I thought, what is one of the things that I have the hardest time with that I hear Jesus say, that perhaps you have the hardest time with that you might hear Jesus say, and how does that give life? Because Jesus says some things that I kind of like, and he says some things that I really do not like. He says some things that annoy me, frustrate me, and challenge me and what I do in this world. And so I thought, well, why don't we just go ahead and pick one of the ones I don't like, and it's hard to live out, and see what that might uh, bring about in us. And so, that actually, this, the song we just sang, uh, No Longer Slaves, where we're going, um, I'm no longer a slave to fear, I'm a child of God, I'm a child of God, and we keep telling ourselves that, right? This great identity song that we use, uh, that is one that I, I, I go, how do we live out our identity as a child of God. And what does that do to our earthly relationships? How does that change how we operate uh, with moms and dads and brothers and sisters? How does that change us as we follow Jesus? Because Jesus is, is kind of unequivocal about it. He, he's like, you follow me or you don't. Like, it's not like you follow someone else or you follow me and, and half of a person or you follow me and this group is like, you, fo- you follow me. And I, I, I love when we go, yeah, follow Jesus. But then when you realize the implications of following Jesus, it gets a little hard. So Matthew chapter 12 is where we'll be today. And we're actually going to be just on the last few verses. We'll be in verses 46 through 50 of Matthew chapter 12. And Jesus in Matthew chapter 12 has just started talking about spiritual warfare and how if there's a demon in somebody and you pray and it leaves, it's going to come back stronger. And so he's in the midst of teaching folks some pretty intense things and he then, uh, there's a pivot, there's a moment that in Jesus' age, and probably in ours as well, there's a moment of allegiance testing even for Jesus. So there he is teaching, and some people show up. And those people are his mother and brothers. They show up into his world, and now, what does he have to do? Jesus is, he has these two worlds. He's an obedient Jew, and he wants to as the commandment says, honor your father and mother, and at the same time, he's the son of God, and he's here to do the will of his heavenly father. And so that moment shows up in Matthew 12, 46 through 50. It shows up again in Mark chapter 3. It shows up again in Luke chapter 8, where we see what Jesus is doing here. So we're going to use Mark's telling of the story as we, as we feel this, and it's going to be hard, and I'm not going to give you every great answer. I'm hopefully give you a few But as we live this out, it's always going to be testing us because family relationships are always testing our allegiance, aren't they? 
like the loyalty that we feel toward them. We might be like, you know, we kind of say like God family, but sometimes if you're not careful, it's kind of like God family. They're on the same page. Or you kind of elevate family above God, but you're like, but God wants me to do that because, right, this is the most important thing that I do. I think Jesus, he doesn't have an issue offending even his own family with his allegiance. And that's a hard statement for me, who, the guy who loves uh, my wife and my three boys. Like, it's, it's hard for me to understand how to do this. And so, without further ado, let's hear Matthew 12. I'm just going to do it kind of chunk by chunk. It's just a few verses, so I'm going to start with verses 46 and 47. And Jesus says this, or the, the scriptures say this, while he, that be Jesus, was still speaking with the crowds, his mother and brothers were standing outside wanting to speak with him. Someone told him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to speak with you. Now, if I'm in a meeting and um, a family member shows up, my dad's there, uh, my mom passed a little over a year ago, so it'd be weird, it's a little spooky if mom came, uh, but uh, if my dad's there or my brother who lives in Cyprus or my sister whose house we're living in right now, like if they show up, then as you would just follow, you would generally stop what you're doing and give attention to that. I would. You probably would as well. I see all these parents with their kids and just go like this. That's what we would do. We would stop what we're doing and we would engage with that. It makes sense. It's what we're taught to do. It's what we're trained to do. Family first is what we say. And then we go, well, Jesus will probably stop what he's doing. So he's in the midst of teaching. This is the problem that we're going to run into is that distractions... Distractions and detours, whatever you might want to call them, they're going to be common in ministry. You notice what it says right there? While he was still speaking, while he was still speaking, his family showed up. So in the midst of fulfilling his father's will and instructing people about who his heavenly father is and how they can follow him and be true to him, while that's going on, an interruption. You ever had those? I mean, golly, you have them all the time form of your phone, right? Like, uh, we were talking again in that kids' ministry meeting, and they were like, well, you know, what do we do if a kid's punching another kid? Something like that. Do we text the parent? Do we come out and get the parent? Like, how, what's the warning? I was like, listen, I'm not silly enough to think that no one has their phone on their lap while I'm preaching. Like, I just assume you text them, they're going to get it faster than if you even come and find them. Uh, so we have interruptions, right? Like, we go, oh, yeah, I need to listen to this and follow this and do what this says. Or somebody comes into our life and tries to reroute us. It happens all the time. Happened to Jesus. While he was teaching, mother and brothers were standing outside. Now, interesting, if you go to John, or if, you're, if you know what John says about Jesus's brothers, John 7, 5, he, at that point in time, not following him, which makes a lot of sense, because I would not want to think my brother's the Messiah either. So they don't want to think he's the Messiah. They don't believe in him. His mother, Mary, knows what's going on, because she had kind of the interaction. If you remember Luke, the beginning of Luke, So she knows what's going on. So you have one person who knows who Jesus is and his brothers who don't know who he is. And so there's a mixed crowd and they want to talk to him. They're interrupting what's going on. I would assume that someone in verse 47 is someone who would expect Jesus to stop and go, well, what do they need? Or let them through. That's fine. I'm a basketball fan and a Rockets fan, so we're good there, but I'm not an Aggies fan. Um, Yeah, whoop, go Tigers. You guys haven't beat us yet. So one thing you always watch, I always watch, you know, if the game's over, what do, they, what do the players do? Like, they're going to meet their family. They're always, they're always there. Family gets access. 
your, your parents, your children, like they're always getting access to you. It doesn't matter who you are, and it doesn't matter what your status is, access is important. The parents would assume, and the brothers would assume, well, I know that you guys are following Jesus, but when we need him, he's going to come. That's where you're left in verse 47. But Jesus, he is, and doing the will of his Father, we see a bit of a reroute in verse 48. He replied to the one who was speaking to him, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Who is my mother and who are my brothers? I mean, talk about an assault to identity, especially in that world where family was everything. It was like nuclear family or bust. Everything about the family was the most important thing. And so when Jesus says to them, who are you talking about? It is disruptive for how they understand life. There's a book I quote it a lot, I talk about it a lot, it's called When the Church Was a Family, and it talks about the identity that we have as brothers and sisters in the Lord versus the identity that we have in any of our birth families or nuclear families. And he talks about how Jesus, in using passages like this, is reorienting what family actually is, who family actually is. And so Jesus says, who are my mother and who are my brothers? If, if that isn't offensive in this culture, we would, we would be mistaken. It is. It stings and it hurts. I mean, imagine, uh, kids, you're here in the room right now. Just turn to your parents and go, well, who are you? Who are you? I don't even know who you are. They would not like that, just so you know. So don't really do it, but try it later at lunch or something like that. Who are my mother and who are my brothers? And so that's what he leaves them with. So now you have Mary. Mary's like, I'll t- I remember who I am. I, I kind of gave birth to you. Any mom has that kind of title over their son or their daughter. I gave birth to you. I brought you into my family. I can take you out of this world. I brought you into this world. Like, they'll do all those things. And so we have the family part. Mary, who is there and sees the angel, and she says, I, you know, I am the Lord's servant. Let him do whatever he will. That one, the one who brought that Jesus into the world is the same one who wants to go talk to that Jesus, and that Jesus is going, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know who this is. Who's my mother? Who are my brothers? Now, before you, you hear me saying, well, Jesus really just wants us to always just hate everybody in our family, which is not, you know, you don't, don't use Hans as an excuse. As Jesus is there and he's headed towards his death in John 19, he looks at John and he says, behold your mother. And John takes her in from that point on and he's for her. So it is not as if Jesus says, well, I don't, you know, you're dead to me or anything like that. But he does say, I'm doing something right now. And this relationship, this earthly relationship is not the priority in this moment. I have a priority in what I'm supposed to be doing. And it is not stopping and doing whatever my parent or my brothers, my family wants me to do. So he goes, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Jesus the disruption or the distraction in maybe an unexpected, I would say at least an uncomfortable way. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say as application, try this out. Unfriend your parents on Facebook and see how it goes. But this was an offense, and Jesus knew full well it would be an offense. I mean, he was not only born into that culture, but God, Father, Son, and Spirit, they moved human history 
And for such a time as this, right, Jesus came into this world. At the fullness of time, God sent his son into this world. And so Jesus is there in the world that he created with the values that he knows are going to be there. And he still says to them in that moment, who are my mother and who are my brothers? And then he stops. And he looks at those who are around him. And he makes an identity statement, doesn't he? Just like we were singing earlier, he makes an identity statement. Now, so much of our identity is bound up in our relationships, in our name, right? And so to give, I know that the heart of adoption in this, and there's something about by having a kid in your home and then also being able to give that child your name, there's something that happens, right? It doesn't, it's not like you have a different capacity for love or something like that, but even being able to say, this is, this is mine legally. This child is mine. We are a family. No one is going to take that relationship away from us. It is an important thing in how we think about our life. So we're always, and for the rest of our life, we're always trying to, we enjoy some things about family life and we hate some things about what our family did, but we're still tied into that, aren't we? That is an identity-forming thing. We think about who we are, how we live, what we do. I remember having conversations with my dad to be like, Dad, I love these things about what you did as a dad, but I'm not going to do these things. And then you always end up doing these things anyways. So we have these conversations because family forms us. But Jesus is about to turn it, verses 49 and 50. So he stretches out his hand or he points to those who are listening to his teaching. Stretching out his hand toward the disciples, toward his disciples, notice, not just everybody, toward his disciples, those who have left family, left friend, left house, left home to follow Jesus. He points to them and says, here are my mother and my brothers. Now, if I'm Peter, I'm like, hey, I'll be your brother. I won't be your mother. Here are my mother and my brothers. He speaks to them. So the identity that came in, his family comes in, and he goes, I don't know who that is. He points to those who are following him, and he takes the same titles that came in to talk to him and applies them to the disciples. Here, right here in this room, those who are following me are my mother and my brothers. Verse 50. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Notice which title is left out of that. Father. Because he has a heavenly Father whom he obeys. Brother, sister, mother. He doesn't give anybody else the title Father. But what he's saying is, because we, through faith in Jesus, become co-heirs with Christ. He becomes our elder brother, as some might say. So we become brothers and sisters of Jesus through faith. We are brought into the family of God. And Jesus says what? The one who does the will of my father is my brother, sister, and mother. So he then defines the family for us as those who do the will of his father. Now these things come to a head. Because we always feel, right? Like we're always feeling as followers of Jesus that we kind of have to either go in, like, like things on a scale. Like we have on one side, okay, Jesus has these family statements that we always have to make and we always have to kind of follow after. Like, I didn't come to bring peace but bring a sword. I'm going to divide up mom and dad and husband and wife and grandma and grandma and definitely mother-in-laws. And like, but, but that one usually doesn't need Jesus. And so he has those. I'm kidding. 
And so we have all of these relationships. We go, okay, well, how do I obey these? But then I see these statements like, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Uh, if anybody can't care for his own family, he is worse than a non-believer. Denied the face and worse than an unbeliever. So now, I, okay, like, do I obey these statements or do I obey these statements? Which one? You feel like you have to pick, don't you? And so you kind of go, well, you know, I just, uh, I'm going to pick the ones that seem more palatable. So generally, we're going to pick the ones about, Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Husbands, is head of the wife, Christ the head of the church, his body of which he himself is the Savior. And so we go through those. We go, okay, these are nice. I read those when I do weddings because it's the marriage, it's wedding. So family relationships, we'll go to Colossians, we'll go to 1 Peter, we'll go to Ephesians, and we'll start to kind of go, what do sons do? And what do daughters do? And what do moms and dads do? And husbands and wives, and how does this work? But there are all of these other, not just statements by Jesus, but he actually lives them out that make us feel like we have to choose. And I'm going to say, we usually don't choose these things well, do we? Like we'll usually go into one or into the other. It's either like, I remember being a high schooler who just went back, got back from camp, and if you parents have ever sent your kids to camp, you know where I'm going to go with this. And so, of course, at 16, I know way more about following Jesus than any adult in the room. And so I'm ready. You don't love Jesus. You don't know who Jesus is. Like, if you, if you did, blah, 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 blah. And some of you probably have those conversations with your kids where they're telling you what it really means to follow Jesus, that you know nothing, right? You know nothing at all. Granted, you've, like, followed him for 30 years, and they've got maybe three months, but you know nothing, and they know everything. It's just what we do, and you guys all get used to it, and parents who have experienced it, love you. You're awesome. So there I was telling my mom how she did not understand what following Jesus was really about, to the point that I was certainly, I had crossed the sinful line long before. Like with my statements and my actions, I just began to tell her what she didn't know. So we kind of land on that. We're like, we hear that, we go, okay, this is it. I'm going to draw every line in the sand. I'm going to make everyone have to choose, right? Like Rufio and Hook, like, you know, who you think this guy is, cross this line here. So we're going to try and do that. Or we just kind of put those passages aside and we go, I don't really know what to do, but like, I'm just going to focus on the family and that's going to be where my life is because I, that's, I see those statements too. And I really do believe for us as disciples of Jesus that he's like, you got to do both. You have to obey what I ask husbands to do, what I ask dads to do, what I ask moms to do, but you never, ever forget what I've called you to. Ever for don't ever forget what I have called you to. And doing whatever your kids want is not obeying me. Trying to make everybody happy is not obeying me. Trying to follow after whatever you think they want, when they want it, how they want it, is not obeying me. Giving them every opportunity that you didn't have is not obeying me. So what I always have to tell parents, doesn't really matter age, does it? You can be a parent, you can be a grandparent. Your role should you really desire to see your kids following Jesus, is to teach them that Jesus is more important than you. That Jesus has more for your children, your friends, your family, than you have for them. That that's what we have to be doing. And you have to demonstrate that both in your own life. So my kid's not in here, so I can say this. It was like two days ago, we were having this conversation, and he had this dawning. He goes, do you love mom more than you love me? I said, yep. Tears for like 15 minutes. I can't believe you do that. Like, you hate, I'm like, I didn't say I hate you. 
I said, God gives me a different capacity to love your mom. I don't have that capacity for you. You're not your mom. You can't be that. You don't want to be that. And I promise you, it is better for you that I love her more than you. I promise you that. But I love you more than your brothers. (laughs) Make them feel a little better. But it's a hard thing. And if you have young children, I know many people here at Genesis have young families. It's hard to hold the line for Christ, isn't it? It's hard to see your child sad at a realization that you're going to follow Jesus even if it frustrates them. That you're going to make decisions about obeying Jesus even if they don't like it. But right, if you raise them right, so to speak, if you raise them in the scriptures, then what you will then realize is that after 5 or 10 or 15 years, the tables have turned, haven't they? And now their obedience to Jesus is causing you problems. Well, I don't, you know, mom and I have talked about this, and we don't really think that's the best decision for you to make. We really would prefer that you stay near to us. We don't want obedience to mean we don't see you anymore. Right? And so, so we have now this thing that flips, that as we age, we start to see our children obey the Lord, and our prayers are being answered, and we're bugged by it. Well, you know, God, I didn't really think you would do it. I just thought if I prayed it, you would hear me and then leave it alone. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. That God has called us, the church, into a family. And when he has called us into a family, our obedience to him is what we should cheer on in one another. So coming from Baton Rouge, where the college ministry was a really large part of what we did, uh, our church had one location that was on LSU's campus, like literally like on the campus. You had an acre on LSU's property along with a few other churches. And then where I pastored was a few miles away, but we're interacting with the college ministry staff all the time. Sorry about me and Mike's. Patrick's going to hate me. I flipped the ear. It's not on the left. It's on the right. And it's going to be all bent up for next week. So all the time, our college pastor, Chris, had to field calls from parents. What are you doing with my son? Where do you want to take my daughter? Sometimes threatening legal action. If you actually go to this country to tell people about Jesus, and you're stuck in this like, hey, you know what? Like you raise your child to follow the Lord. Your child wants to follow the Lord. It's only six weeks. They'll be back in, you know, for their sophomore, junior, or senior year, whatever it is. But time after time, the concern was parents calling. Now, if you put your kids in college, and you know after eight, you really, you're done. Really speaking, they're like, hey, you're not going to get their medical records. You're not going to get this. You're not going to get that. You can give them your money if you want, but they can spend it however they want. And so time and time again, he's fielding this. But God has called us, the church, into a family. So then how do we honor Jesus' statement about the one who does the will of my Father in heaven as my mother, my sister, my brother? How do we take that statement and see it manifest itself in our congregation knowing full well that there are fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters and grandparents in this room trying to follow Jesus obediently with the things that Jesus has asked of them. Well, I tried to write down a few, and I'm not even sure if they're all good. 
But the first question I just kind of had for us, in the view of the series, The Word of Life, is how does this understanding give life? It seems like it would just cause problems. And I don't want problems. I want it to go well for me. So how on earth does this passage give life to us followers of Jesus? And what I came up with was this. Well, Jesus, our Lord, gets to define for us what is most important. He gets to define it. You know how freeing it is for Jesus to go, this is what matters. Great, because if you let me decide, I'm probably going to pick the wrong one. And so you have to kind of get to this moment where sometimes we think we're in charge of our lives and we, uh, God is kind of our consultant. He comes along and he tells us, you know, well, if I were you, Hans, I would probably do this, but right, it's your life. Jesus never does that. Jesus says, this, this is it. This is life. This is what it's about. And so when we see Jesus say, who are my mother and my brothers? The one who does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. Then we, as Christ's followers, are able to go, okay, he's reoriented things for us. He has changed for us what is most important. So when I do premarital counseling, what, I, what I'll say is something like this. I say, it's important for you as a husband, or it's important for you as a wife, to nurture in your husband or your wife that which is eternal. She will always be your sister. She will not always be your wife. He will always be your brother. He will not always be your husband. That relationship ends at death. But the brother or sister in the Lord continues on. So not only does the Lord ask you to treat your spouse like your spouse, but the Lord asks you to treat your spouse like your family like your family in the faith. And so you nurture in your spouse obedience to the Lord. And I might come and go, well, I don't want to make a decision. I really think that we always need to draw straws. No, let's not draw straws. Let's lead through this. Like, let's figure out what is most important to the Lord. Let's seek it out. Let's figure out what is obedient in this situation. Let's talk to our church family. Let's talk to our leadership and let's ask their counsel and input so that we can make, as far as we can tell, the wisest decision possible. Let's nurture in our children obedience to Jesus. So I love, when I sent my kids uh, last week to Matt and Yoshi, I was like, this is awesome because like, they're going to come back and head to Cambodia. Bring it on. But I, as a parent, this is a prayer that I've started now, even when my kids were young. Lord, will you nurture in me a heart that is excited to see what you do with my kids, whatever it might be? It's a prayer that I have to pray. Because again, what's, what's my ultimate goal is not to make them love me. It's for them to love the Lord. And when we're on the same page about that, then there isn't the conflict. I want to see you obey the Lord. Then you get to become brother to, I get to become brother to my sons and dad. I get to be both. So to nurture that. Yeah, so it was awesome. I was like, I'll see you guys later. Matt and Yoshi are going to show you what it means to Jesus, and I'm going to help with that as well. We're going to do this. We're going to team up. Some in this room, though, might be married to unbelievers, right? Or you know people who are married to unbelievers. So what is that? How do I obey Jesus' words here? Like your spouse be like, see you, sucker, right? You're out of there. 
No, because what do you see in the scriptures? If a believer is married to an unbeliever and the unbeliever is willing to stay married to the believer, then stay married because you might lead to your spouse's conversion. But what do you lose? You lose team, right? You see all these families in here and they're loving one another and husbands and wives are like hugging around the neck and their kids are awesome. And you're going, I don't have that. I've never had that. I don't have a spouse who's on the same page with me. I just have me. And I'm trying to be mom and dad and discipler because I have ways I want my children to grow in the Lord. Well, worldly wisdom, and anytime I get like a marriage or a couple in my office and they start to talk to me about, um, they talk to their friends about what they should do, I'm like, oh, Lord, here it comes. Like, friends give the worst advice, especially lifelong friends, because all they care about is you being happy. They don't really care about you being obedient. And she's like, I think you should just get rid of him. Like, that's not how it works. We have an allegiance to Jesus. We don't just say, see you later. But we follow. You see one in your current preaching pastor, not me, but Patrick. The Lord has given us a desire and a passion to go to Chiang Mai and to plant churches amongst the unreached. And I'm guessing, I don't know how that conversation went with you guys, but I'm guessing it was like, yes! Like, this is what we have been praying for forever, that we would never see you. But you say the gain of people who know Jesus and you being obedient to Jesus is greater than the gain that I get from having you around. That's hard, though. That's hard. Because then you have, you know, peer friends who are like, you're going to let your kids do what? Are you crazy? And then there's all that pressure that kind of gets put on top. You're going, well, maybe, you know, second thought. We really feel like God wants you to, oh gosh, that phrase. We really feel like God wants you to do this. Like, huh, really? Like, we must have a different number. I'm going to have to ask him if he changes number because I don't, I didn't get that at all. Children in the room, parents, I'm throwing you a softball here, I hope. But children in the room, you may not like it, but God gave you your parents. He did. And it's not really that fun. I have lived in my parents' home, and now I have kids living in my home. We had all these hopes of what life was going to be like, and it's not a lot of those things. But God gave you your parents, and you know what? They're bad at a lot of things. A lot of things. And they're probably, the parenting is this weird thing where we have no idea how we did until you're like 50. We don't know. And so we don't know if we did a good job until we're about to die. And it... At that point in time, it's too late to change anything that we did. So you have to know this. Your parents are doing their best. And they're going to get it wrong a lot. But they're doing everything they know how to do to put you in environments and train you to love and follow Jesus. But also know that there will come times, should God be gracious to you and bring you to conversion and bring you to a point of obedience to him, there'll be times when then you become essentially the discipler of your parents and you have to show them how you're following after the Lord. And we're going to live in this world together. You go, this is, you know, parents go, this is exactly what I wanted and it's 
nothing that I wanted. And I have to even do this with my own children because I think sometimes churches have a way of like making marriage the end all, right? Like if you're 25 and single, you have problems. But the scriptures are very clear that being single is kind of awesome. And so we as a church family don't go, well, we got to get you married. No, it's we have to help you obey. And God may have given you singleness and you may desire it, but like pursue him with all that you have. It's not like, well, who can I hook you up with? Like, you know, we have some friends who need a spouse as well. And we diminish it. We diminish it. So for my kids, when we talk about marriage and family, and they're young, right? Eight, seven, and four. So I'm not like, oh, we're going to get married one day. But what I say, should, should God bring you a wife? Should God bring you children? Even if he brings you a wife, he may not bring you children. Should God bring you these things? Should that be what he has for you? That'd be awesome. But that doesn't have to be what he has for you. So we have to be communicating even early on all the things that God may have and all the hopes that we have because we might realize that, you know, at eight o'clock or, you know, at eight years old, moms have put enormous pressure on their daughters to have these beautiful weddings. And so now they're going, I'm going, if I don't get married, I'm not being obedient to mom. Well, you know what? Jesus says that's okay. You need to be obedient to him. And obedience to him might be single. It might be reaching people who do not know Jesus in some of the most unreached places of the world. I have friends who are signing up to go to a, um, a 10-month missionary training school in uh, Tijuana. And so it's not, um, it's not an organization, but it, is an organ- it essentially is an organization that trains you how to think long-term reaching people for the rest of your life, going amongst the unreached and reaching it. So I was actually texting my friend about this sermon this morning, and he said, we just told my wife's parents that we were going. They are not happy. They have two or three kids, and like, it's family just starting. Now, like, we out, like, we're going to Tijuana for a little while, and then we're going to go to some country for us for a long time. And so what does that do? It spooks them. You go, I know this is the right thing, but man, it is so hard to hear people say we're not for it, which is why we as a church family must encourage and pour into one another what obedience really is, that we should champion it and cheer it on and pray for it and encourage it because there is not going to be another relationship in this world where we are going to have people go, go, do it obey. And there are going to be times when your need to hear that is so high because you're not hearing it from anybody else. So as I think about the ways in which we pursue this, I kind of end with this idea for all of us. We as a church family need to encourage at every turn and in every way obedience to Jesus. I mean, what are Jesus' last words in Matthew? All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. And we love to stop sort of like teaching, right? Like teaching them. No, 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 no. You're not just teaching them. You're teaching them to obey. They don't just have to pass the standardized test. They have to live it out. We can answer questions about Jesus for days. 
But obedience to Jesus is a completely different thing. So when Jesus is teaching them to obey, that is what we as the church family do. We teach and instruct and care for one another and pray for one another that we might obey the voice of God, the word of life. Because as much as we might feel as if that does not provide for us the life that we want, as much as we might feel as if that provides for us frustration at every turn, it doesn't. It provides for us life. There's a man I keep in touch with who has spent 30 to 35 of the past years of his life proclaiming the gospel amongst people in the Middle East. And of those 30 or 35 years, he has maybe been stateside three, maybe? And he has said, if we could change our U.S. citizenship in for the country that we're in so that we could better relate to the people that we're trying to serve, it is worth it. It is worth it. And we think sometimes that like, these people just float around like a few inches above the ground, like they're just super holy folks, and they, they, do, like, they walk in, and if not for the robe, they'd be floating. And we forget that they are disciples who are obeying Jesus just like you and I are. And we kind of create these separate classes of obedience, don't we? Like mild obedience, go to this church. Like intense obedience, you go to that church. And we'll see the cycle. In Baton Rouge, we saw the cycle. It's like, well, I was going to this church, but I got a little tired of it because they were really heavy on X. So I went over to this church because this church isn't as heavy on X, and they're heavier on Y. But then I got tired of that. I went over here. Like what we need to be about is encouraging obedience of our entire lives over to Jesus, who is the word of life over anything else, over friend, over family, over children, and those moments are hard. And even me, right? It's hard. Like, my kid doesn't get it, but I want to be able to say, as he's going, I can't believe you don't love me as much as you love this person. And I said, well, I love God more than I love mom. And he goes, yeah, but, but he's not a human. God the Father. We, we're working on his Trinitarianism, but it, it, at eight, we're, we understand So, it's hard in an earthly sense when you step out for Christ at whatever age and receive pushback from those you love. It's really hard. But God has given to us one another. And we should be the biggest champions of obedience, shouldn't we? So, I I say this. um, I had a friend and he, was, he, had, he brought this up one time. I don't remember why I was talking to him, but he was, I think, in med school. He goes, Hans, I feel as if God wants me to trust him to provide my finances for this semester of med school and uh, not take out loans. And I was like, okay. Go for it. Go for it. Like, in that moment, I was like, if you really, like, I see the problems that indebtedness can cause. I see in the scriptures uh, that you want to live by faith, that faith is good, and without faith it's impossible to please God, and anything that is not from faith is sin. So like, if you want to step out in faith and do this, then brother, go after it with all that you have. Do it. To encourage obedience one in another and one for another. So I, I hope 
and pray that the Lord has us here uh, with you guys for a long time. And um, that we can understand what God has for us at every turn. And as I said a few weeks ago, your elders, I can tell the deep love they have for you. That they desire for Genesis, its obedience to the Lord. That it conforms with the character of Jesus. And I'm going to need that from you at times when I'm tempted to disobey. I hope that I can be the same thing for you. But when we see difficult statements that Jesus makes, which is, I don't know who that is, the one who does the will of my Father, there is one environment that we have where we can cheer that on and understand, and it is the local church. We can't go rogue because then we're going to just be surrounded by people who don't agree. It is the local church that gives us the greenhouse that allows for us to believe that with all that we have and to go after it. And when we receive frustration or worry or anger or any type of resentment, we can stand on the words of Jesus and remember. He gets to tell me what is most important. He gets to tell me how to live. He gets to tell me what to care about and what not to care about. I go, well, that sounds a little kind of like a pushover, like you just, you, know, you just let other people decide things for you. No, 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 I don't let anyone else decide anything. They make bad decisions. God, it's all right. He can do that. So if you could, I'd like to pray that for us, for me, and just over us as a church family. Um, as we enter into seasons of transition, Patrick and I were talking about that this week. You know, there's just me getting here, and there's Patrick rolling off, and there's Patrick you know, getting sent out. There's all of these things that we'll be going through together. And just want to pray God's is for us and that we hear the voice of Jesus each time and that we encourage it and spur it on. So let me pray now. Heavenly Father, you sent your son Jesus into this world. At the right time, for the right purpose, in the right way. And Lord, we are grateful for it. And he is currently teaching us how to live obediently, and he has taught us how to live obediently. And we look at passages where we see his statement about obeying your will, and it can be so hard for us. So Father, might by your spirit, you embolden us to step out in faith in whatever we need, in whatever way. We pray for all of those moms and dads in this room that they could teach obedience to Jesus over anything else. And we pray for every worker in children's ministry right now that they could continue to pour into those children and help the parents by teaching just how great and glorious Jesus is. Heavenly Father, we pray for our own hearts that we would listen to your voice over anything else and that you would be glorified through us as a church family as we seek your will, as you guide us through the coming weeks and months and years for your glory. Lord, for our good, we praise you for it. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.